Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 56. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today I interview Matt Waltz. Matt is a purple belt in jiu-jitsu, the owner of Waltz Construction, a company with 35 employees that generates revenue of over nine figures a year. Plus, he's the co-founder of Harvest and Recreation, Inc., one of the largest and most successful dispensaries in the country. He talked about how fear failure prevents so many people from pursuing their entrepreneurial visions and how lack of focus almost put Waltz Construction out of business. When I asked him about the best advice he has ever received, his answer inspired me to title this podcast, The Win-Win Mindset. Stick around for my final thoughts after the interview when I expand on the concept of the win-win mindset. Stay tuned right after Jiu-Jitsu Tribe's message. Oos. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Jiu-Jitsu Tribe, formerly Live Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu Tribe supports social projects who offer free jiu-jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, inspiring, impacting, and improving their lives, keeping them away from drugs and crime, creating hope, and creating champions on and off the mats. Your donation helps projects to pay for their monthly expenses and facility makeovers. As a supporter, the BJJ Mental Coach donate all the profit of all online courses and merchandise to Jiu-Jitsu Tribe. For more information, please visit www.jujitsutribe.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Matt Waltz, who is a purple belt in jiu-jitsu. Matt graduated from ASU with a degree in construction engineering and started Waltz Construction in 2004. Since then, Waltz Construction has grown to manage projects with a revenue of over $100 million a year and employs 35 full-time employees. In 2010, he co-founded Harvest Health and Recreation Inc., which engages in the cultivation, processing, distribution, and sale of cannabis and related products. Harvest is one of the largest and most successful dispensaries in the country at this time. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Gustavo. Happy to be here. Awesome. For people who don't know, Matt is uh, Purple Belt from GD Jiu-Jitsu Academy, a longtime friend. And I have to say here that I have mentioned you to you before that I opened my academy in 2012 and you're probably the main piece of the academy to put together the way it is. I'm not saying that I wouldn't have the academy, but I don't feel that the academy would come together the way it did with your help. So I appreciate it so much, all your help, your friendship. But no, that's a, that was a great thing for me to be involved in as well. It's great to you know see someone who has a vision and have a little bit of a hand in helping them realize that. So it was as rewarding for me as it was for you, I think. Yes, dude. So I know you wrestle when you're younger, but tell us how martial arts or jiu-jitsu show up in your life. Sure. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, wrestling was a big part of my life. I think it's a big part of who I am. You know, not that. I think wrestling practice probably taught me more about life than competition ever did. I mean, 
you know, it's like jujitsu practice. I mean, wrestling practice is a grind. I mean, there's plenty of times you're in that wrestling room. It's 110 degrees. There's 40 dudes in there just getting after it. And you want to quit. You question yourself. Why am I here? What am I doing this for? This sucks. And just being able to find a way to get through that has helped me tremendously in life. You know, I've been pretty insistent to my, my two boys. I've got 16 and 13 year old boys that they'd be involved in wrestling. Like just, just for that alone. And one of my favorite quotes is from the famous astrophysicist, uh, Neil Tyson. One of his famous quotes is after wrestling, getting a PhD in astrophysics from Harvard was easy. Mm -hmm. So that was a big part of my life. And I just missed it when I, after high school, you know, went to college and, and got a career and missed that competitive pushing myself to the limit kind of aspect and was just kind of drawn to jujitsu. I was living in uh, DC at the time, you know, working 75, 80 hours a week and just needed an outlet. So the UFC uh, referee Mario Yamasaki has like three gyms in the DC area. So I, uh, I just showed up at his gym one night and, and started getting after it. It's kind of, it's kind of like how I started, but it was kind of a false start. I think when I look back on it, it was, uh, you know, you know me cause I was like, I'm a wrestler at heart. So I bring a lot of that wrestling to jujitsu mm -hmm. so at Yamasaki's gym. I would, I would be happy to sit in someone's guard and just try to try to just crush their neck. Right. Just <laughs> get my, get my arms around someone's neck and crush and be like, all right, the guy tapped, I'm good at jujitsu. You know, and everyone would be like, no, you suck, dude. Just you're sitting in someone's guard, just just trying to squeeze everyone's neck. I'm like, yeah, that's that's how I do it. So that was my first experience with jujitsu. Yeah, and how did it uh, when did you start training? Uh, with me, what year was that? Wow, oh, let's see. My oldest son was born in two thousand and two, so I guess it was about oh three or oh four. Yeah. I was working on a project at ASU, a big it was like a ninety million dollar project at ASU. And that's kind of, you know, that's, that's really what got me into jiu-jitsu and like sort of got me to the, to being able to learn, you know, I was so busy. I had time at lunchtime. So I'd come and train with you kind of privately back on at the gym at Broadway and McClintock, yeah. you know, from like noon to one, like three or four days a week where, you know, I actually start to learn something because, you know, you're, you're one of my favorite jiu-jitsu instructors of all time, but you, you know, you have a way of communicating that's easy for a, for a hard of understanding guy like me to get. So that's really what sunk the hook in me was being able to train with you privately and figure out, oh, I don't just have to sit in someone's guard and just try to choke their <laughs> neck. I can, I can actually learn what an arm bar is or a triangle or learn a sweep or a pass. And you mentioned how wrestling, you got that, uh, oh, you got from the training, that grind, that transfer to life. And how do you feel jujitsu relates to life? Is that similar? Is there different other things kind of like your vision evolved? What did you say? Yeah, so so the, the interest I thought of this a lot. The interesting one of the interesting differences between wrestling and jujitsu is the progression through the belts, right? Like, there's no formal system of progression in wrestling. Like, either you whip some guy's ass in the mat or you didn't. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really talk to your your skill set, the time you put in, you know, all the things that is. That's one of the fun things for me about jujitsu is the progression of belts. You know, and I can speak from experience. I think I still hold the world record for being the the longest white belt in your history. So, so you know, it, it's interesting. The way it relates to life for me, it's like, it's a microcosm of everything. I mean, when I, when I was first a parent, you know, my, and my oldest boy was an infant. I was a, I was a white belt in parenting. 
you know, now that, you know, you learn, you make mistakes, you learn from successes and failures in parenting and you get some stripes, you turn to blue, turn to purple. I think now with my boys where they are, I feel like I'm about a brown belt in parenting. I think it's the same thing in business. You know, when I first started my business, I was certainly a no stripe white belt. And you get your ass whipped by some competitors, by some clients, and you get a few stripes and you start to learn a little bit more. And as you progress in business, I think it's it's really synonymous with the belt system that, that you have in jiu-jitsu. Yeah. And now, when did you have the spark to start? Let's talk first about Walt's construction. I remember that you were working at Gilbane, I think, by the time, right? In Arizona. That's right. That's right. And when, how was the transition and when did you have the spark said, you know what, I should have my own thing? Yeah, so when I was reading your questions over the past week, couple of weeks, it's really, you know, sparked a lot of thought and reflection. And I think the answer to that is it was less, I think, a spark and a vision. It was more a reaction to fear. And what I mean by that is I worked for, for that company for a decade, right? And years one through nine, if you would have asked me, I would have told you, I will work for this company my entire career. My goal is to become the CEO or the, the COO of, of that company. And I, I mean, I was all in. And what happened was there was a bad leader, you know, I guess a bad person really. And it was, his actions were inconsistent with what the company message was. The company message was we care about employees, we're ethical, we wanna do business the right way. And what I got to see, you know, I sort of progressed to a level where there was one person between me and the, and the main boss and, and the main boss's actions. Um, really what they did was, was he kind of blamed some big failures on people below him. So two guys got fired and my mentor, my boss quit because he said, listen, this isn't what I'm about. This is a, a bad situation. So my mentor and boss quit. And then there was no one in between me and this my, in my opinion, like a bad leader, bad person. So after 10 years of working there, I kind of came to this, this realization like, man, they could just, I could be torpedoed at any time because of this bad person. And so it kind of led me to, you know, a bit of a prolonged panic attack, I guess, for lack of a better term, where I came to the realization like, you know, I need to be the one in charge of my destiny. I can't kill myself working 78 hours a week in a company that might this guy might choose that I'm going to be the fall guy for his next mistake. So really it was, it was more a reaction to a bad situation than having a spark and a vision. You know, it was, it was a good question because it really made me reflect on that and figure out why I did what I did. And how was the mindset then when you said, okay, now I don't have the security of the paycheck anymore. I'm starting this new gig, starting this new venture. How was the mindset back then? How did you deal with some of the fears, anxieties? And it's a bit, it became a huge company. But at the beginning, how was, how was that uh, the transition? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, too. I think about that a lot. I, I think a big part of who I am is I, I, was, I grew up poor. You know, I was the youngest of five, didn't have much. I mean, I remember I was talking to someone just the other day, and, and I remember like literally like in eighth grade seventh and eighth grade, if I didn't steal my lunch or find a way to get it, I didn't eat. So having that as my background, I'm not really scared of going back to that. Like it's great to have, you know, money and, and a nice place to live and a car, but if that all went away and I had to go back to living in a one bedroom apartment, it, it wouldn't, 
that doesn't bother me. So I guess the fear of losing things hasn't been a limiting factor for me. And, you know, when I think back to, to the startup, like, like my, my father-in-law was a good one. He looked at me like I had three heads. He's like, you know, you're, you're a senior executive at this company. You've been there for 10 years. You have great salary. There's a ton of upward mobility and a lot of potential there. And you're leaving this to start your own company. I mean, he thought, I looked at me like I had a, had an anvil dropped in my head or something. Like, like the cartoon with like the birds around my, like, so it's just, that's something that never really bothered me. Just get, just taking the risk. You know, it's like, I don't want to jump too far ahead. That's one of the, one of the things when I think about if I was to give people advice about if you were to start your own business, just, just forget the fear, put the fear of failure away. I think there's this misconception that working for a big company somehow gives you some security. Yeah. And, you know, think about Sears or Best Buy. They didn't see Amazon coming. And there's a thousands of people who thought I'm with Sears. It's a secure company. I'm going to be here forever. And now we're unemployed through no fault of their own. So the myth, I think that there's some security working for a company as opposed to being your own company. I think that's just a, a misconception. I totally agree, man. That's something that um, even I talk with my son too about that of him even start, he's graduating Matter of fact, in 2019, he's graduating tomorrow you know, <laughs> in high school. So having some talks with him, what direction is going to go, he's starting you know, uh, right now at this new chapter of his life. And I do talk about him. He sees you know, my hustling. I'm doing what I'm doing here and there. So we'll see. I don't force anything on them. But I say if you can find something that, like you said, you, know, you can control the direction of your destiny as far as the choices that you make in profession. So we'll see how that's going to go. What would you say is the worst entrepreneurial experience so far in your journey? One of the toughest ones and what did you learn from it? Yeah, that's that's been another very thought provoking question. I've been, I've been kicking around and I think, I think the answer is, you know, there was a time there was a, a big misalignment between me and one of my partners and it came and it came back to the idea, I think the main idea of leadership, you know, in, in the in the Simon Sinek definition of leadership and the way you treat people and building a trusting environment. And we just had we just had a real difference of opinion of of how important that was. Right. I, th- I think one of the things that clouds people's judgment in business and life is I think some people convince themselves, well, something isn't important to me. I don't value this thing. Therefore, no one else values it, right? And I think that's a, that's a thing we put blinders on ourselves about. And in this instance, well, my partners, he didn't he didn't put a value on being recognized for accomplishments or having an environment that was positive and felt good to employees. So since he didn't care about it, therefore employees don't care about it. Mm-hmm. And that was our biggest misalignment. And you know, so what I learned from that, and it really allowed me to refocus myself at at my construction company was really putting a tremendous value on people and making sure that people get a trusting environment and the support and resources they need and have leaders leadership that, that does what they say they're going to do. You know, one of the things I hear a question I hear a lot from people like, Oh man, you run your own company. You're your own boss. That must be so, you have so much freedom and flexibility, but 
I said, no, that's not the case. In fact, I think employees are probably the hardest boss I've ever had. Employees watch me closer than any boss ever did. Am I, am I doing what I said I was going to do? Am I, doing, am I pulling my weights? Am I delivering on my requirements? And I mean, employees, it's, it's, you know, there's some similarities to children. Like my, my boys watch me like, like a hawk. Like dad, you know, he t- dad tells me to do this. Is he doing that? He says this is the way to be. Is he being that way? So really, it's it's um, providing that consistency really refocused me to make sure because I, I kind of feel like I work for the employees much more than they work for me. It's my job. It's a tremendous responsibility. That it's a big weight that I feel, especially we've grown to almost forty employees now. Like there are forty people who are counting on me to do what I said I was going to do, and their children and their wives and their families. I mean. There's a bunch of people who put a bunch of faith in me to deliver on on the vision I said I was going to. So it motivates me. It gets me out of bed in the morning. It's it's something that drives me when I don't feel like, you know, when I don't feel like it, I still have to do it. Yeah, I want to expand a little bit on that. But before that, I want you to talk a little bit of beginning of Harvest. How did a business come through the idea of, okay, I'm going to get involved with this. And at one point, you were heavily involved with both and then at one point one business was suffering because they start putting more focus in the other one and then had to flip back and forth so i want to get to that point but before we get that how was uh, yeah how did it come about and it was 2010 is that right that's right yeah it was it was shortly after the legislation passed in arizona right that allowed medical cannabis and so Guys from our gym will know, you know, myself and Steve White and Paul Nowak mm-hmm. got together and we didn't know anything about this business. And we kind of said, should we find out more about this, this nonsense? Like, I didn't think it was going to pass. And frankly, I thought medical marijuana is just a bunch of bullshit excuses for, for dopers who want to smoke dope, right? That was my opinion of the whole thing. So we said, should we find out more? And we said, let's find out more. So we set a couple of meetings with some alleged experts in the marijuana world. And we would leave, we left the first meeting and said, those guys don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Like we know as much as those guys and those are the experts. And then we set up, you know, three or four more subsequent meetings with these alleged experts and left every one of them with the same mindset, kind of a little bit more charged up, a little more motivated to. And so we kind of said, it it appears that there is a total lack of professionalism and business savvy in this market sector. And could we, apply some proven professionalism and business practices and make a real go of this. And we decided, yeah, let's, let's give it a run. Let's, let's try to get some licenses. So we, we won two licenses in the original Arizona lottery. And then almost instantly Nevada passed their law and it was totally um, driven by the laws in Arizona with the exception that in Nevada, it was a qualifications based license process. In Arizona, it was a lottery. Literally, the more applications you got in, the more balls you got in a literal bingo type lottery. And our balls got drawn and we got two licenses. In Nevada, they said that was a mistake. We're going to do it. We're going to make them take the most qualified people. And they, and they sort of drafted the laws based on what Arizona did. So we almost immediately started getting calls from people in Nevada saying, we want you to be our partner because your qualifications will get us a license. So we ended up getting like, 14 or 15 minority interests and licenses in Nevada, like two years later. And then we pursued licenses in Maryland and Ohio and Pennsylvania, you know, 
and it just sort of snowballed, really. And um, the genesis of Harvest, really, Walt's Construction was the headquarters of Harvest. Literally, this conference room I'm sitting in right now was Harvest headquarters for the first three years of business. So it's, I think it's fair to say that Harvest wouldn't exist without Walt's Construction. And as Harvest started to grow, I, I was filling the role of, of CFO. So, you know, I was, I was working, I, I jokingly say I was working half days, 12 hours of Harvest and 12 hours at Waltz for a few years. And, you know, I mean, it, it was just, it was so time consuming and brain power consuming. You know, I spent a lot of time at Harvest and really, I think, unfairly asked people at Waltz to step into roles that they weren't suited for weren't prepared for and so things kind of stagnated during that time and then towards the end of my tenure at harvest things really started to decline and it, it was a it was a really important lesson for me and I, I think there's there's this misconception again that people think wouldn't it be great to have a business and then just like get this business running and then just run it by and it just runs by itself and you can roll in and slap some high fives and be a cool guy and then go back to vacationing and it's just going to generate money. And for me, I think that's a myth. I, I don't think a business can really thrive and operate without everyone being engaged and pulling their weight. You know, it's like there's this, this idea of fairness, right? Simon Sinek talks about this idea of fairness. And it doesn't feel fair when there's someone in leadership or ownership who just rolls in when they want to roll in, collect some money, and then, and then bounces out. So I, I don't know, for me anyway, I don't think that's a reality. I think if I'm going to be a business owner, I'm going to be all in, pulling my weight, doing my part, or I'm, um, I'm not. I don't think there's a middle ground there. So how long was until got to a point, because I know you told me recently, I don't know if it was last year, you made the transition of step down your position on Harvest, because you said yeah, it went coming, up, coming up on two years, coming up on, yeah, a year and a half, two years now. Yeah, we... We took um, Harvest through a, a reverse a reverse takeover transaction, which I'm like a, I'm like a white belt with three stripes on on going public. Mm -hmm. right? So so I, I know very little bit, but yeah. So we we basically took over a company in Canada, merged Harvest into it, and are now public on the Canadian stock exchange. And that happened like November fifteenth of twenty eighteen. And how many dispensaries do you guys have now? You know, I've, I've lost count. I think it's it's somewhere in like the 30. I mean, we've acquired, we've made some big acquisitions in the past six months. You know, we've we've bought some dispensaries. We've been, you know, Steve White has been a magician and and he's a genius at obtaining licenses and that in that qualifications based selection I talked about. Mm -hmm. Like he's, I mean, he's he's a a PR. Like if he could spend 10 minutes on TV a month. I mean, the guy's, he's just a, a natural born public speaker and he's great at that. So getting him out and being the face of the company and, you know, delivering the message of what Harvest wanted to be was, was crucial, instrumental in our, in our winning licenses and that qualifications based selection. So he, he was, a, he was kind of the mastermind behind the huge growth. Like he's just so, such a, such a strategic mind about how to message things, how, how to win over public opinion and obtain these licenses. Now, when you went to this transition of stepping down from Harvest to going back to Walton, you mentioned how there's one point you couldn't do it anymore. And when did you kind of have that 
realization like, okay, I, I have to stop this. You know, what exactly made you think I, I have to go back to Walt's? It was a combination of things, right? It was it was a combination of people at Harvest saying, Hey, listen, we need you all in, but you've got this, you know, Walt's construction that's pulling you away from us part of the time. And, you know, it was a it was a real conundrum for me because I go, well, you know, in my mind I go back to the statement of well, Harvest didn't exist without Walt's construction, right? It, all the resources we use in this office, you know, pursuing licenses and, and using this as our as our headquarters. And there was like 15 people who were depending on me and Walt's construction to provide for their family. So I had this real internal struggle about what do I do? I can't, you know, abandon these 15 people who have been working for me for years, 10 years, some of them, you know, and I, I can't continue to split my time. So we just, we just all agreed like, yeah, I'm going to step back. We hired a CFO. We hired, you know, some key financial people who could do what I was doing. And this allowed me to come back and really focus on Walt's construction, which, which at that time, frankly, we were probably three months from closing the doors. At the time I, I came back and really got engaged. And it was a, it was it was a breath of fresh air in a couple of ways. Number one, just being able to focus on one business, not constantly feel like I'm serving two masters and not giving either one enough. But it really allowed me back to that that sort of you know my thoughts about how people need to be treated. You know, um, I think you and I are both a big fan of Simon Sinek and Start yeah. with Why and and Leaders Eat Last. So really holding myself accountable to bring those mindsets and that discipline to my business, really understanding why we're doing what we're doing and then giving people the, the leadership and the trusting environment to do their jobs without worrying about politics. That's kind of been my focus since I've been back, you know, this, this past year and a half. And that is exactly what I wanted to point it out for, for the listeners, because we do have business owners. We do have a lot of people in transition that are in, business that or they in careers that they're not happy they wish you're doing something else but regardless leadership is a topic that it's man it's for everyone you to be a leader of your own life i mentioned to you i mentioned podcasts and i mentioned to you we had lunch a couple weeks ago i mentioned how probably from i started teaching in 1995 and i'll say from 95 2010 i don't think i ever stopped to pay attention i had no idea what the word leadership meant you know just kind of how you do things but i never really stop okay let me see what does leadership actually means i had no idea and as i started getting involved with personal development in 2010 it doesn't mean that i was like okay i'm a i'm a great leader now but that was just kind of wake up call like wow i need to start paying more attention to this so and i feel that the past three four years i've been working a little harder on that end so I always try to bring that topic of the leadership too because, man, it took a lot of beatings as a lot of business owners, you did too. So what do you suggest for the leaders out there? Some of the things that say like, man, I wasn't doing this properly. And then when I came back to focus on Waltz, I said, I'm going to fix this here. So what have you, you already mentioned, but let's, if you have to say the top three, let's say, if you can be more if you want, but top sure. three things that you're like, man, I really changed that and I noticed the difference. Yeah. And so, and so I guess to answer that question effectively, you know, I, I kind of, I go back to, 
you know, in leaders, leaders eat last for anyone who's read that book. It's a, a big part of it is about the body chemistry. What happens, what chemicals are released in the body in different environments, right? And so in untrusting political, stressful, you know, kind of toxic environments, the body releases cortisol, you know, stress inducing chemicals and it, and it sort of um, dictates behavior and the behavior that it dictates is more paranoia, more selfishness, more politically motivated behavior. And conversely, when, when the human body is in an environment where you trust your leadership, you trust your employees, people are pulling their weight, people are, are doing the right things, you know, the, the oxytocin and, and serotonin that the body is releasing is making it makes people more effective. It makes them happier. It makes them less politically minded and paranoid. And it's, it's easier for people to work together in those environments. So, and, I, and we've all been in those environments, right? I'm sure you've been in those environments where you go, man, that was toxic. And I, I was always anxious and, and I, and I wasn't my best self. And then you recognize environments where you were, are your best self. And you go, okay, you know, for me anyway, Simon Sinek put that together in my mind about, how those environments need to operate. So the first thing I did was, you know, I made sure I really listened to my employees, to my peers, to my coworkers, and, and really listened to what is important to you and, and how can I support, you know, the employees of people I work with so they can do their best work. You know, there's, it's funny, whether it's, whether it's in jujitsu or coaching or parenting or business, a lot of people I think maybe learn or model behavior because that's what they've been exposed to. And some of us have been exposed to that boss environment where the boss comes in, pounds his fist on the table, shouts at everyone, and then goes stomping out. Like, oh, that's what a leader does. Apparently, you're supposed to be a dick and be selfish and come in and shout at everyone. Well, it turns out that's not the way to be. In a successful business, what you need to do is listen more than talk and model behavior more than demand things. So, you know, that thing, that's been the biggest thing for me is just is focusing on how do I support the people that work in this organization as opposed to demand and expect things from them? That's great, man. That's a great advice. Now, what would you say is the one high performance habit that you have that helped you in all areas of your life? Something that you, <laughs> you feel that you do daily? So I don't know if this is a high performance habit or not, but something that I've done is I've just, I've got a real hard head. You know, you and I, we fly banged heads 15, 20 times and rolling in jujitsu. And so the way I approach things is I just like, I put fear aside. It's like preparing to, to roll with Steve Judson. Like the last 150 times he's choked me out and arm barred me. I've never passed his guard once, but that 101st, 151st time I'm going out to get it. This is going to be the time is different. I'm going to take the, I'm going to take, take it to him. I'm going to pass his guard. I'm going to choke him out. That never happened, but I always approach it that way, right? I mean, so I kind of, I think that's something that I would, I would suggest people do is don't let fear and trepidation of, well, I failed this thing 20 times, so I can't do it. I'm just going to forget that. Like, put that aside, you know, put your nose to the grindstone and just, and just get after it. And, and it's amazing how positive things happen when you just keep working hard and keep trying things. Especially long term because sometimes people do that they work hard but maybe not long enough it's almost there right. but and then end up kind of letting go a little bit before and i always i don't know in my mind 
everything I do, I kind of try to keep blocks of like five years saying, okay, if I do about five years of work with this, how that would look like? And that I'd like to ask this even to the listeners right now too. If you're working right now on some specific goal, how that would look like if you stay consistent for five years? And I always like to look into that even when I started to like from when I opened a school in 2012 and then was 2017, I was like, man, how was it? you know, five years ago and now, and then have my, uh, the, the expansion of the school now. And I'm thinking at that point, I'm like, okay, how about 2022 if I keep doing this here? And of course, not just doing this, but evolving what I'm doing, improving, keep the consistency, how that's going to look like. And I, and I think that's important. I had a audio with, uh, doing my final thoughts, talking about grit, which passion and perseverance. And talking exactly about that, to be able to stay consistent for long periods of time. And that makes a difference. Otherwise, you'd not be where you're at with both of your companies. You know what I mean? If you didn't have the, the consistent work long term. I was thinking about the, those same things where it's like jujitsu, right? If, you know, we bring things back to how does jujitsu relate to this stuff? It's like, yeah, you can go out drinking the night before. You can not be hydrated. You can roll in five minutes before class, and, and you'll be there, and, you'll, and you can get some benefit from it. But how much more are you going to benefit from coming to class? Like get a good night's sleep, get up a little bit early, get some hydration, maybe show up 10 minutes to class early, get your mind right before class starts. You're going you're gonna to gain tr- you know, tremendous amounts more than just rolling in last minute and being like, all right, what's up? Let's roll. You know, so I think in life it's the same way, right? Like the more I can be focused and and calm and more, um, you know, direct about what I need and, and spend the time to prepare, whether it's whether it's for a meeting with a client or, you know, a meeting with with my employees or you know a big a big presentation. The more time I, I prepare and the, and the calmer I am, it turns out the better the results. What would you say is the, the best advice you've ever received? Any area of your life? You know, it was, I don't know. I've gotten a lot of good advice. I'll, I guess I'll say in business, one of my, one of my favorite guys, this is in the marijuana business. Um, I don't even know how. I, I met this, this uh, older guy. Pat Leonard is his name. One of my favorite guys. He's like this old farmer from Kansas, like wearing overalls and like a John Deere hat. Like, you know, you see this guy and you think like, man, that blue collar dude, he's like a few steps above homeless, like just by looking at him. I mean, while he's got, you know, a ranch in Kansas, a ranch in Montana, his own plane. And he helped us at Harvest um, get into the extraction business. Extraction, basically you take the plant material, you use some high tech equipment, you compress the plant material, you extract the oil out of it. You know, you filter it, you can make different products, edibles and vaporizers and things like that. So this guy, Pat, helped us get into that business. He gave us our first piece of equipment, which was very expensive, about twice as much as my first house, this piece of equipment. And so we worked a deal out where he provided the equipment. We had a, you know, a profit split kind of an arrangement. And God, it was so simple what he said to me. And I do impersonations of people I respect. By the way, Gustavo, I do a pretty good impersonation of you. (laughs) It's a sign of respect. Um, 
So Pat says, he says, Matt, man, I figured out that the secret to success, man, in order, in order to be successful, a deal's got to be good for me. It's got to be good for you. I said, man, that, that sounds pretty simple. And, and he went on to say, like, listen, if we, if we strike a deal and it's too good for you, I'm going to bail out of it. If it's too good for me, you're going to bail out of it. In order for something to be successful long term, we have to find a way for it to be good for both of us. And it, like as simple as that is, like, God, that's so true. There's this, I think there's this mindset in business where I got to win, I got to win, I got to win at all costs. But if you're winning at all costs and everyone else is losing, you're not going to be in business long. No one's going to want to do business with you. So it's a crazy, it's a crazy mindset shift where you go, well, wow, I, I guess I also need to look out for people I'm doing business with who are on the other end of my deals if I want them to be long-term successful. And that was a, as, as minor, as small a thing, as, as simply as Pat Leonard put it, that really changed my mindset too. So, you know, in the construction business, like we really value our subcontractors and I, and I spend a lot of my time making sure that our subs are getting a fair deal just like we're getting. And that, so in business, that's that's probably the best piece of advice I've ever got. Yeah, dude, I love this win-win mindset. Gary Vaynerchuk, if for people who don't know, just look him up at Gary V. It's a V-E-E. He incredible entrepreneur. He's always dropping crazy amount of knowledge and content online. And he talks about his concept of the 5149, which is to give more than you're getting without any expectations. So it's a really cool concept. And my public speaking mentor, Joe Weldon, I have mentioned to the listeners uh, throughout different episodes, he's 78 now in 2019, and he taught me something that I actually used multiple times in my life. He said, Gustavo, if someone comes to do a yard work, my house, and it's, let's say they say it's $200, and then I look at him and I say, I won't pay that. And he's always uh, funny and just a very likable guy, and he said, I'll pay you more. I'll pay you 10% more, and he gives him like $220, for example, and say, Gustavo, here you go to all the little corners and clean this, clean that, and I'm like, that's pretty cool. So I actually started to implement that too, and there's times that, yeah, you can see the little extra, there's times and not, but the main thing is just the, the giving extra, that 5149 without asking for expectations. I'm probably the worst guy to do deals, for example, if I'm Hiring some type of service, I don't like to ask for discounts because each one got their own price. Someone comes to the school and they say, ah, this price is too much. I'm like, man, that's that's my price. And if someone gives me their price and it's a little bit too much for me, I'm saying, man, I'm not saying that ain't worth it. It's just maybe it's too much for me. You know, so Jim Rome used to, to uh, the motivational speaker, he used to mention about his mentor, uh, all the stories, really cool. People never heard of him. Just take a look on YouTube. Jim Rohn, R-O-H-N. Man, incredible motivational speaker. Passed a few years ago. And he mentioned all the stories with his mentor. And he was telling one story that he told his mentor, oh, man, this is too expensive. He said, too expensive? Maybe just don't make enough money. And I was like, ooh, ouch. <laughs> That's kind of cold, but it's true. So really cool, this idea of the win-win mindset. It's, it seems simple, but man, it's really powerful. Yeah. So what advice would you give to the younger Matt? Not that you want anything different. Right. Because you, you are where you're at in your life because of the choices that you made. But when you're starting, 
Walt's construction. If, to look back and after he went everything through you starting, what would you say to him? Say like, hey, can I give you one quick advice what that would be? So so that's an interesting question too. And and I think, you know, like the the Pat Leonard example, that deal's gotta be good for you, gotta be good for me. That's that's kind of like the white belt instruction. Mm-hmm. So so when I get into the upper belts, you know, like a brown belt or black belt uh, advice, I would say to myself and maybe to other young people or old people, people who are trying to to get better at anything, my advice to myself and then would be number one, don't let yourself off the hook, right? Being honest with yourself, it seems to be one of the most difficult things for people to do really being honest with yourself. So don't let yourself off the hook. If you're doing some bullshit thing, recognize it. If it's some selfish, manipulative, self-destructive thing you're doing, recognize it and be honest about it and be, and don't let yourself off the hook. Now, conversely, and this is, this is the challenging part of it. Don't be so hard on yourself, right? Like there's this really fine line, I think of not letting yourself off the hook for bullshit, but don't beat yourself up mercilessly when a mistake is made or you or you aren't progressing as as quickly as you want and and constantly managing that fine line of am i am i letting myself off the hook am i beating myself up too much trying to be fair with yourself i think is is advice i would give to myself and others good now i know that you read a lot too so what would you say it's one of the good books that made an impact in your life and why? Of course, in different moments, sure, books, so forth, but maybe something like when you started reading more books. I don't know. What do you think? So I can't narrow it down to just one. You know, like you and I have talked about, Simon Sinek is one of my favorites. You know, Start With Why was, was tremendously powerful for me to, to clarify a vision of, you know, why are we doing what we're doing? There has to be a why. And, and making money is not a why. Right? Why are we doing what we're doing? And then, and then adding on to leaders eat last, understanding behaviors and body chemistry and, and how behaviors affect people. And it's not just a work environment. It's a home environment. It's a friend environment. It's a, it may be a jujitsu environment. Like understanding how your behavior affects others and, and being able to manage that. Like those are two really powerful books and and the one i'm reading currently that has just blown my mind is called why we sleep there's this this doctor at um, cal poly dr matthew walker and like sleep if if this guy's research is right sleep is probably the most important thing you could do like forget exercise forget diet forget habits if you're not sleeping good for eight hours a night you gotta fix that first like it's just the functions that happen in the brain, in the body, when you have good sleep versus bad sleep, it's, it's just mind blowing. I highly recommend, you know, that it's a good listener, a good read if anyone's looking for something that, and it's made a huge difference in my life. It's been about four months I've been practicing these new sleep habits and it's made a tremendous impact. I remember you mentioned that to me and I improved my habits maybe about three years ago used to be really bad with now I I just have to be aware to what time I need to cut off work Mm -hmm. what time what am I going to consume 
on or reading or watching by what time because I know what's going to activate my mind and my brain just going to go insane. So I try to be a lot more aware of that or when I need to cut off because, yeah, man, I was just my average was five hours was a good day. And I just, and I, because of the high performance coaching, that really helped me to understand the importance of sleep. And do I get eight all the time? No, absolutely not. But I, ha I have improved to an average of like six to seven. I do my best to get seven. I do my best. And eight, I'm not quite ready yet, but uh, any, any chance I have, I'll do it. But six to especially seven, six, I can feel my body. I'm dragging. Right. You know, but but seven, I feel that okay. I I I'm good with that. So I've been little by little uh, getting better with this, and definitely a great great suggestion for people just to be more mindful of the sleep. Yeah. So what are you currently excited about? What's going on with your with your companies? What am I, you know? I'm I guess I feel a pretty good amount of excitement about a lot of things in life. You know these days. I think maybe the, the thing I'm the most excited about is continuing to improve, you know, myself and the people around me. Um, one of the things we did at our company is there's, there's a great business coach. His name is Pete Walsh for anyone who, who is looking for some help in that regard. Pete Walsh is a great guy, but here at, here at Walsh, we brought him on, you know, almost full time to be a business coach who's available to all the employees. So once a month, Every employee has to, gets to meet with Pete Walsh and review, hey, how are you doing? Where are your strengths? Where are your weaknesses? How are we doing on the things we identified last meeting? So it's a really, it's been a really powerful thing. And, you know, Pete's, he's, he's a great motivator, but he tells me like, this is something that only C-suite companies do, you know, in big companies. And, and this is a real, this is a real game changer for the people here to have, it's almost like an accountability partner, right? Because you have to sit down with Pete once a month and go, yep, here's what I'm doing, here's what I'm not doing. And it's forcing all of us to get better. And so that's that's one piece of my excitement. And when I go back to it, I think what started me on this path of self-improvement, I think I can I can credit you with a lot of that when when you know you introduced me and, and a lot of us to that book, Psycho-Cybernetics, mm -hmm. I sort of began to realize the the tremendous potential of this supercomputer that we have inside our skull and really trying to unlock as much of that as I can. And people like you have been a great influence on me. You know, Jesse Meringue is, is a great influence. He, he's a guy I love spending time with. He's so positive, you know, like he introduced me to the, the Wim Hof breathing and ice baths and sauna, which is, which are things I do on a regular basis that really improve my quality of life. You know, it's seeing, seeing, you know, I, I, I follow Steve Judson, seeing his journey, you know, going up to Prescott and, and starting his own, his own gym and sort of, you know, following his, his path of self-improvement is motivating to me. So I guess that's the thing I'm most excited about is, is introducing as many people as I can to the idea that, you know, you can improve. You're not stuck in a rut. You can change your mindset. You can change your outcome. You can change your life if you put the work into it, you know, and seeing, some of the successes that my own boys, Jake and Evan, are having and doing some of that stuff. So it, it gives me a lot of motivation and a positive outlook to, to try to, I guess, improve the quality of life for myself and the people around me. 
That's what I'm excited about. Yeah, dude, that's the great idea of the psycho-cybernetics about reprogramming your mind. And you can do that, of course. It's not always mentioned. It would be nice when Matrix come around with just plug in and back your head, boom, and just get things and <laughs> plug in information, reprogram. But until that happens, you got to put the work, you got to read, you got to open your mind for new ideas. Sometimes you might read a book that I'm like, eh, it wasn't that great. Sometimes you're going to read a book, just one page, you're like, okay, got it. My 15 bucks audiobook has been worth it just for this one minute audio. So I think it's just be being open to this. So I'm, I'm glad to be part of that journey. And for all the listeners who are listening for the first time, usually after the interview, I just reflect on what we talk about and I create some content, anything that can help to inspire and impact and improve your life. Not only in all aspects and personal, professional, I do my best to do that and it's not easy but i get to learn so much learning from the from all the guests that that come in and and then researching after what they said so i my brain already starts to think like okay what am i going to talk about after uh, this interview so thank you so much matt i man it's been a pleasure and thank you for for your friendship and all your support man uh it's a pleasure to have you here man yeah thanks no right back at you man it's, it's been a it's been a, a real tremendous value in my life getting to know you and be around you so thanks for inviting me hopefully hopefully some people can can find some tips or value in some of the some of the things i've been through awesome and for all the listeners stick around for my final thoughts who's Let me share with you my final thoughts from the interview with Matt Waltz. If you're listening just to the final thoughts on Instagram at Gustavo Dantas BJJ, Matt is a purple belt in jiu-jitsu, the owner of Waltz Construction, a company with 35 employees that generates revenue of over nine figures a year. Plus, he is the co-founder of Harvest and Recreation Inc., which engages in the cultivation, processing, distribution, and sale of cannabis and related products. Harvest is one of the largest and most successful dispensers in the country. He talked about how fear failure prevents so many people from pursuing their entrepreneurial visions and how lack of focus almost put Walt's construction out of business. I'm not sure what your main takeaway from the interview was, but mine came when I asked him about the best advice he has ever received. And he said, not on these exact words, by the way, the secret of a successful deal is that it needs to be good for you and me. If it's too good just for me, you will bail, and vice versa, which inspired to title this episode The Win-Win Mindset. During the interview, I mentioned a concept that the entrepreneur Gary Vaynerchuk defends consistently, the 5149 rule, which means give more than you're getting. For those who don't know, Gary V is an incredible entrepreneur who delivers massive free content online. His advice has impacted my personal and professional life in a lot of different ways. If you have a chance, check out his content at Gary VEE. He says, quote, giving 51% more than you take 49 means by doing and giving things in business without expectation of return from the other individual is probably the greatest leverage that you could ever deploy in your business and life, unquote. 
Also, during Matt's interview, I mentioned my public speaking mentor, Joe Weldon. He is 78 years old and for sure the most efficient person that I know on the win-win mindset and especially Gary Vee's 5149 rule. Have you ever experienced a service that the other person or company just blew you away with the amount of value given to you? So good that you can say, that was a great example of the 5149 rule. Have you? Well, I had experienced plenty of times with my mentor, Joe Weldon. However, the first one was the most memorable. On November 30th, 2012, I was scheduled to deliver my first professional public speaking presentation at the Hilton in Mesa, Arizona. By the way, I didn't know anything about public speaking, nothing at all. I had no idea what I was doing. Less than a month before the presentation, during a belt ceremony at my academy, one of my students and friend, Robbie Stahl, told me, Gustavo, have you ever heard of Toastmaster, which is a public speaking club that I heard of that week because I Googled public speaking. I thought, well, if I'm going to do a presentation, I should learn more about this public speaking thing. He said, a client of my impersonal friend is the mentor of the club I go to in Scottsdale, and he is in a hall of fame of public speaking. I think you should meet him. And I said, let's do it. Three weeks before the presentation, Joe came to my academy with a big smile and incredible energy that you can't help to start smiling to. He said, I listened to some of the podcasts that you were interviewed. Let me tell you some of the good and the not so good things that I found out. He gave me an hour private seminar for free. That blew me away. I thought to myself, I don't know how much he charges, but I will pay. Back in 2012, his fee was $1,500 for four hours of coaching. I said, done, when can we start? He gave me this thick binder of his ultimate speaking system and 12 CDs of the Building a Better You program. Do you remember when you were in school and you had a test coming up and you hit the panic mode and started to study like a maniac because you knew that you're running out of time? Well, that's what I did. He was so impressed with my dedication, I call desperation, that he gave me four more hours with no charge. Then I said, Joe, I need four more hours. So I paid $1,500 more, and then he gave me four more, eight extra hours with no charge. Then he said, since it's your first event, I'd like to go with you to talk with the hotel's manager to get the details of the room. Talk about 5149 rule. Then one day before the event, I told him, Joe, thank you for everything. I would not be able to do it without your help. I'll let you know on Monday how the event went. He said, what do you mean Monday? I'll be at the event. That is so beyond the win-win mindset. A multimillionaire public speaker in the Hall of Fame, coaching some of the best speakers in the world, taking the time to sit by the door with another staff to write name tags to the attendees and to stand by the door at the end to collect all 80 evaluation cards. I'm not done yet. On Monday, he went to my academy with six pages of feedback with the good and not so good of my presentation. Some people may say, Gustavo, he did his job. I tell you what, he went so far and beyond of the win-win mindset, probably even past 5149 rule to something higher without expecting anything back. Currently in 2019, his fee is $10,000 for eight hours of coaching, and he's still my mentor, and I get to be his assistant in different conventions all over the United States. Think about a person that you're so thankful for everything he or she has done to you. This person went so far and beyond to help you that you automatically feel that you owe them. That is how I feel about Joe. 
I can say that he's one of the top three most influential people in my life. What about you? Who are the top three most influential people in your life? Most likely, they applied more than the win-win mindset. They went 51-49 on you. Think about how you can apply the 51-49 rule in your life, giving more value than you're getting in making this win-win relationship a memorable moment for someone. Oh, We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.